Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm so excited for our show today. We are talking to two A-level Hollywood producers and all-around very good people, Julie Lynn and Bonnie Curtis. Julie Lynn formed Mockingbird Pictures in 1999 with Bonnie Curtis joining in 2012 after more than 15 years working with Steven Spielberg and together they are producing film and television across a wide variety of genres with movie budgets that range from 1 million to over 100 million dollars. They have produced for brand new filmmakers as well as experienced award-winning directors. They are still thinking about what nonprofit work they're going to cook up together after they retire from filmmaking. But they are hopeful that day is still many years away, it is, ladies. And they are most proud of all the repeat customers amongst their collaborators, as well as the fact that they were able to successfully take their families on a joint vacation because they clearly don't see enough of each other at work. All right, welcome, Julie and Bonnie. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so uh, usually with our guests, and these guys have been our game for it, we invite you to do our first segment, which is Adventures in Screenwriting, or basically what happened to you at work this week, this past week. Um, so we'll, we'll let our guests go first, or would you like us to go first to, uh, to get into the water here? I'll go first. All right, go, Bonnie, go. What did I, what was work like this week? Yeah, like what was your, what was your week like, Bonnie? Well, it was, um, I feel myself, I think as we all do, since we're all going through the same pandemic together, um, I find myself being very forgetful. So uh, my work was a series of locking myself out of the house when I was on a phone call. <laughs> um <laughs> And getting so focused on the conversation at hand, you know, I don't know where I go when I'm having one of my work calls, but I go somewhere else. And then, then coming off the call and realizing, oh my God, I'm down the street or I'm, you know, I've locked myself out of the house again. So uh, that was a series of, uh, that happened several times this week. But other than that, you know, it was this, it was the same old, same old. And like, what's an example of a same old, same old for you, for your day? Well, a same old, same old would be um, a series of Zoom meetings. Uh, you know, Julie and I probably have five or six projects that we're, you know, attempting to nudge forward a bit each day. Um, sometimes we're creating the agenda. Sometimes we're responding to the studio's agenda. Um, and then, you know, we have a animated film in production, um, that you might know a little bit about Meg, um, that we, uh, you know, that is, is live, meaning like we're actually in production on that. So there are things that come up daily on that, but, um, it, it seems even in this bizarre time, the job has remained somewhat the same. We're just doing it virtually and from home and Julie's in her car a lot less. 
<laughs> Julie, what was your week like? Well, you guys do your, your good, your good, your bad, and your ugly, right? Isn't that how you, how you guys often roll? I, so I would say the good was that um, it looks like we have a movie that's going to actually maybe shoot in 2021. Um, and the bad news is that the news of that leaked to the press. So there was an announcement which created its own set of problems around the fact that that's not totally locked down. So that was kind of a good and bad twin, which is how a lot of our work is, right? Like the good stuff feeds the bad and then we get through it and get back to the good. Um, and I would say the ugly um, is sort of the the kind of undercurrent of the pandemic all the time, because it, this week alone, it made me realize we cannot make one of our independent films that's gonna require the money to take care of people the way we would need to take care of people until the pandemic is, is really over, unless somebody's gonna really step forward and, and underwrite all the insurance and all the COVID precautions and all that. And I, and I think just the, there's so many things that pandemic creates for all of us on both a personal and a professional level that it is like this um, tinnitus running under everything all the time. And you're worried about the world and about people who are in trouble and, and all those things. So that I think is the hardest part of the week, although that's not different this week than any other week for the past nine months. But is that, does that answer your question? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I usually make Lorian go first for the week, <laughs> but I'll go first. I, um, well, last week I took the week off of Thanksgiving week, which is the first week off I've taken since the summer of 2019. I often end up having to write on weekends. So I was just very, very tired and brain dead and had to do it, even though I'm on, honestly on deadline, but my head had become like a melon I'd scraped out, like there was nothing left. So that was great. Um, hung out a lot with my husband and that was awesome. But it's interesting because getting back in the saddle of writing this week has been a bit more choppy than I wanted. <laughs> Lauren's laughing at me because I texted her a lot this week, uh, freaking out. No, basically, you know, I'm at that stage of moving from an outline, which was more like a treatment that went through many, many revisions, lots and lots of input to now going to first draft. And if I was by myself and this was just a spec, I would do my barf draft as, as all of our listeners know and not worry about it and really just let it be whatever it wanted to be. I can't really do that because I'm working with a director and other people that I have to hand this to. So I'm in that kind of stage of I have too much and not enough. I have, t I have all these great ideas from myself, from the director, from multiple people. And yet when I'm chunking it down, I don't have, I, I'm feeling this lack of tightness, to, you know, narrative engine drive, which is very, very normal in a first draft. It's almost, you know, a necessary part of a first draft because you're trying to figure out what that engine is. And yet it makes me super uncomfortable because I have to give this to people. Um, so I just started to have a real confidence shake um, and I needed to bark, but I couldn't because people are seeing it. And I started to do that thing that you can do as a writer where you're standing outside of yourself at the same time that you're trying to write inside of yourself and you're judging it, even though you're writing it. And that is just a really painful way to write. I find um, it just got really big. The story math got really, really big. And you know, this happens sometimes, especially once you're an experienced writer, 
because your brain is jumping ahead and going, well, the goal isn't very clear yet. And where is the drive? And oh, wait, have you done the stakes yet? And wait a minute, what are the world rule? You know, the, what are the rules of this world? And wait, are these scenes active? Are they active or are they just lots of people talking? Because nobody wants just a scene with lots of people talking. And are the characters specific enough? And wait a minute, what is the arc? Have I just completely lost the arc in this scene? And oh my God, is this fun? Is this fun at all? Is this entertaining? Is there any comedy in here? And oh my God, it's not unique. I mean, this is okay, but is it unique? No, it's just an echo of other things we've seen before. So this is the chatter was so loud. I couldn't get it to go away. I couldn't because, again, if I'm doing a barf draft, that's the way I like them. Because I just say to all those voices, it's a barf draft. It doesn't matter. Nobody's going to see it. But you know what? People are going to see it. So it was trying, it's like, it's a situation where I'm trying to lay down a fully formed human instead of bones and then muscle and then tendons you know, all the way out. I was literally, I'm still trying to do this thing that's like, but and okay, nobody's asking me, nobody, that is not the people's expectation I'm giving it to. I don't think the director thinks that. I don't think the execs think that. Everybody understands it's going to be a bar barfy because I'm going so fast. Um, but the trick for me is, and I'd love actually to bring our guests in on this. You know, people say they, they know how to read first drafts. They say that they're used to rough. But I find that very, 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 very few people, as in terms of really can, even some other writing friends sometimes, like that really they don't mean what, what often writers mean as rough. I don't think that's what they mean as rough. <laughs> totally. So, I mean, I'd love to bring you guys in in terms of as producers. I mean, I know you guys so well and we've worked together so long. I probably, you are probably the two people on the planet um, as producers that I would give a barf draft, but even you guys, I probably wouldn't. I probably would have work on it a couple more rounds before I'd give it to you. And then I'd tell you it was a barf draft, but it wasn't really. Um, <laughs> so I just love to bring you guys in to the whole kind of give your producer rough pages. Like what, what do you, what do you think about that? Julie, Bonnie. Well, first of all, I was going to tell you on your current project, I would just barf it like you would normally barf. And just don't let them know that you've already barfed. Like tell them that you still have your head hanging over the toilet, you know, and then give it to me and I'll read it for you. And you know, then you can move on to the next one. Like, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. they don't know that you've chunked out. Um, but I, I agree with you. I, I, and I also think that who and knowing who and when you can give your barf draft to is really important. And you have to rely on your well-developed, which I'm sure is getting better developed by all the people that listen to your podcast, emotional intelligence for that. So a buyer at a studio, a studio executive, they, they aren't used to or, or really open to reading something that they wouldn't buy. And by that, I mean something they would buy knowing it needs work. I'm not saying it's 100%, but they need to at least, they need to be able to look at it and be like, like pull something out of it a strand out of it that says, oh yeah, I can sell this to an audience, right? Um, whereas your long-term producing partner can probably read a barf, you know, read a barf and talk to you about it. But it, here's the thing that I find most difficult to get from writers. If I've never read the entire screenplay before, even in a barf draft, I sometimes find it hard to get one act. Like it, like some writers want you to see everything as they're doing it. Like, oh, I wrote five pages last night. Let me send you my new five pages. And I, unless I've already read one entire 
Barfy draft. I find that very difficult because it's, I have absolutely no context to put it into. So I can't tell if they're laying down something that is going to be important later, or if they're failing to lay down something that's going to be important later, or if they fail to pick up something that they should have laid down earlier, right? Um, so I would rather read one whole barf draft than, you know, for the, if I'm reading it for the first time, five more polished pages at a time. That's because really I, great. That's a great you know, I can't, I can't, I can't comment or help. I need something to react to. I think there's I a, like right, go ahead, Lauren, go ahead. I think there's a sense of, I mean, I have it like urgency and panic that if I don't deliver something right now, you're going to get mad, walk away. So I think there's a tendency in writers to be like, here, just take what I have rather than taking the time necessary to thread it through, to write it all out, to see where the, how it tumbles through the rest of the script to turn that back in and to say, I'm not ready yet. I need another week, right? To when you're, yeah. where you are. I think that's really important. Uh, but it's, it's, you have to develop that to understand where you are, right? Like, oh, wait, I need another week. Hey, producers, here's where I am. Here's what I need to do. And here's, here's what I'm trying to accomplish and get on the same page and sort of set up those communication channels. But it can be really scary to do that, to understand what you need and, and to communicate it. So I think what you guys are talking about is a big piece of that too. I'm like, telling you right now, the producers very relieved to hear you say you need another week because that means is you have a concrete understanding in your brain of what you need to do and the thing that they're going to get a week later is much better than the thing they'd be getting right now now bonnie and i have a situation where we have a writer who's like two years late and <laughs> delivering something and we've had to keep re-optioning the underlying material and um or five years after that's a whole different Thing. Yes, that, there can be an avoidance tactic too. That's not what we're talking about. That's something very yeah. different. But what you're saying, I, I would love to take, you know, my job as a producer, I always say, Bonnie's heard me say this a million times, is to take away your fear. Whether you are um, my key grip or my props person or my writer, my job as a producer is to be a safe place where you can put your fear and I can take it away. And so I would love to give your listeners the gift of, of hearing me say, there is no reason, unless you are on some crazy deadline because you're shooting it in a few weeks and it's a prep issue, in which case you're already golden because you're getting something made. But if you are still in development, I really encourage you, let me take away your fear of saying I'm a few days late or I'm a week late, or even sometimes depending on your relationship, I'm a month late. Because as long as you can articulate why and what you're doing, the producer will be like, great, that's one less that's one less thing I'm going to have to teach them to do. And I'm going to get it that much better. And so my notes will be better. We have this um, one other thing and then I'll be quiet. I'm so sorry. We're working on a project with a very, very experienced writer who's amazing. His name is Bill Nicholson. He wrote Gladiator and Shadowlands and he's amazing. And, and it's not his first rodeo, right? So it's a little nerve wracking to give him notes because, you know, he's won Oscars and he's amazing. But what, the gift he gave me is we gave him notes and he went away and did notes and he did a great job. And when he handed it back, he said, I know this, that your notes, which I then took are going to breed new notes and that's okay. So he took away my fear, which was fascinating. But what he was really saying is what I'm saying to your folks, which is if you 
tell your people that you're waiting a week to give them something better, they will be able to give you better notes because your intentions will be clearer. And it's also why you shouldn't get upset if they give you notes and you go away and do them and then they have more notes, right? Because that means you did great work. That means you did great work and you have exposed something emotional and, uh, and beautiful for them to react to. Bonnie, did you want to jump in? Well, I just, I, you know, I think everything you guys are saying is so interesting. So I literally, we could rewind and I could make a comment about everything that was just said because it's all so smart. But um, probably the most standout for me is that I think for a writer, I always like to tell writers, it doesn't matter if you hand it in late because it, th you're in the driver's seat right now. Like this is the only time you're, once you hand that to me, you, someone else is coming in. So don't give it to us until you're proud of it. Don't give it to us until you're happy about it. And to go back to the, the first draft thing, um, Meg, it, it's just an executive can tell you all night and day. Just get, we're really great at reading first drafts. Just give us a first draft. Can we cuss on this podcast? Absolutely. Bullshit. <laughs> I think that's bullshit because it, of course, they want to be blown away by it. Of course, they want it to, you know, change their lives. So I, I definitely, and I also think you have to know your audience because I do think it's very safe to give Julie Lynn a first draft. I, I agree with her. She, she knows herself as, as that partner for you but it is and I often read a script that like a spec script that has this great idea in the middle of it and I want to get in there and develop it with the writer but um I would certainly always encourage writers you know take that extra time so that you can present something that you're really excited about and not just meet the date and say I've got more work to do on this I have more ideas because people I just don't I would say though, in terms of your know your audience, um, just two more quick things on this and then we'll move on to our questions from our audience. Um, I agree that you and Julie are the kind of producers that are about taking away fear and being supportive and the story is the most important. I have worked with producers that, and this is not even a bad thing, it just is a different it just breed. Is. Yeah. Um, they wanna be, excited they do not want to be like holy shit this doesn't work like they want they at least need that amazing scene or they at least need you know that set piece or like they need to know we have a movie right because that is they're feeling the weight of that on their back for the studio and you can panic them <laughs> if you don't if it's like oh my god where's the movie where's the movie that you pitched or whatever again it depends on the person and you kind of have to as a writer suss that out um and it and sometimes you can get it sussed out by the kind of notes you're getting back or there's different ways but what i did because i know the writers that we that listen to this podcast will ask which is okay you got into this place meg of you were outside your head and inside and try and having this battle um of voices which is a very hard way to be creative so what do you do when you get in that place because um, i think writers get in it all the time um, for various reasons. It may not be a due date. It may be just confidence. It may just be anxiety. It could be lots of reasons. So what I did this week is I, I text, I texted Lorian a lot and, um, 
had my meltdowns and she was awesome and texted back and she even jumped on one, one text was we have to get on the phone and then like she jumped <laughs> on the phone with her and you know so again we talked about you need your people as a as a writer I also texted a friend who has worked um doing the same job that I'm doing right now and he helped me think through kind of more the kind of like okay when you're in this position in this world let's think about this and that helped a lot and then I just had to keep chunking it out you guys I just had to make I made deals with myself okay I'll just for the next hour I'm going to work on the B storyline I'm just going to go through the script and just keep chunking out the B storyline okay by the end of the day I have to get to the midpoint no matter how bad it is I just have to write to the midpoint so you know and I'm writing fast, so all the scenes started to feel the same because they're, I'm writing them all in, within days. So, you know, you're a certain kind of person on a certain kind of day. You're having certain kind of moods. So the scenes start to feel the same. And I was like, well, okay, well, they are. Oh, well. I mean, I did a lot of, okay, fuck it. Fuck it. It's the same. It's the same fucking scene as like three beats ago, except for one piece of information. Oh, well, fuck it. I'll figure it out later. I'll give it to my director. I'll say, um, I understand this is the same, but let's talk about how we can make it different. <laughs> Like I literally was talking to the director the whole time in my, I still am talking to him in my head. Um, so, you know, sometimes it literally is, I have friends who think, well, writing is good when it's inspirational and you're inspired. And I'm like, well, that is for me, not the most writing that I do. Most of the writing that I do does not flow. I don't feel inspired. I am literally just chunking through a, the scene, even though it's starting to get very painful because I know it doesn't work all those things. And I'm like, okay, I just have to get to the end of it. And I, and the other thing I did, I just want to give a piece of advice is it, the voices got so loud that I literally opened a document and I just started writing down. Okay. I have to track that. Okay. The stakes make no sense. Okay. What are the rules about this? Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Or I had a piece that I was like, should I just change all of this? Should I just change this whole scene? So I would copy the scene, paste it over in that document and then change it. So I always had this little pool and well, where I could put the voices and all those fears and all that anxiety so that I, they felt, it felt heard. It felt, I, I have a place to go. I, I'm not going to forget this. I'm not going to forget that the stakes of the movie <laughs> don't feel very strong, but I'm just saying so that really helped me continue to push through it. I mean, you know, that document is now 10 pages long, but that's okay. But that's okay because you have it in space. That, that's such a great thing. We do that as producers all the time. Bonnie always says to me, the list is life. You keep the list so that you're not, a, it, it, it enables you to let go of it in order to do the work that you are doing because you're not trying to hold it in a part of your head out right. of fear that you're going to leave it unattended to. No, it's on that piece of paper. That's going to be your check and you'll go back. That is, that's genius. And let me tell you, I would rather get the draft from a writer who is a collaborator. Now I'm talking about not as a studio executive, but as a, if it's like us producing for you guys, I would rather get your draft that's like, oh my God, you guys, this is such a barf draft. Let's talk through it. I gotta tell you the worst is to get, which has happened to Bonnie and me within the last few months, where you get the script from somebody who's handed it to you and says, I think this is genius and this is exactly what I wanna shoot. Oh, never oversell. And then literally, you're like, what? Because <laughs> you read and of course you, you're fresh eyes. So you see things, but they, they think it's a work of genius. It's much harder than to give. Much harder to give notes. To give wow. notes. Wow. Lauren, uh, how was your week? My week was uh, intense uh, and not, not very exciting, oddly. Uh, I worked on two things. One, the, a feature I wrote um, has a director attached. And so he's putting together a, um, uh, you know, a deck to take it out to 
producers or buyers or, you know, I'm always so vaguely confused about what happens in the industry. Like where does it go first and who, how does it all work? But, um, so I got to look at the deck and I was super inspired by it. And so we got to sort of talk about it and I got to give him feedback, which is really exciting because I started to actually like see the movie in a way, like through his lens and it was just super inspiring. And he, he put all this music together and just uh, his vision of it. Uh, you know, it's not my vision of it while I was writing it, but it's, it's close to it. And, and because I feel like we're collaborating, it's, it's really, really cool. So that was really exciting. Um, and then I'm working on this spec pilot that I've been working on now for uh, like four weeks. Oh my God. But I am, it's the whole time I've been writing it, it feels so urgent and desperate that I finish it. And it's maybe it's because it's personal, but you know, I was up last night till one in the morning trying to fix something. Um, the mistake I've made with this process, I think, is that I have given it to too many readers. And so I've gotten too many notes. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, so in listening to the notes, and I was, thought I was being very judicious about what notes I was taking and what notes I wasn't, but I got really confused and sort of like uh, sanitized my, the, the script, right? Like, oh, I need to put this piece here. I need to put, it got very mechanical or uh, like checking boxes instead of what I'd started with, uh, which was uh, me. And I, I don't know what it was. So I had to go back and find that. So that's, that's been a, a learning process, but I, I feel this, this sense of urgency to finish it. And because it's so personal and um, so yesterday I was with my daughter and I was taking her to the doctor and I kept like staring off into space and she kept saying, mama, where are you staring? You know, I'd gone into my script and I was doing fixing stuff and thinking about stuff. And like, because I have not figured out yet after all this time as a writer, how to separate, how to turn off when I'm in a script and I'm in that urgency place. So, you know, I, I feel good about where I am in the script now. I think I'm going to let it sit over the weekend. I'm going to read it on Monday, which I think Meg, you gave me that advice like two weeks ago and I completely ignored, you know? So, um, but I, but I, uh, I'm really excited about it. And, uh, and when I send it to my manager, I will say, I'm really excited about this. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. Not it's ready to shoot or let's, you know, so, uh, uh, I'm, uh, but I feel really excited about it. Yeah, I the also urgency is good. The urgency means it's cooking, man. Yeah, but I also really want to start on something else. Like I need to to be I need to deliver this and sort of set it aside for a while and then figure out something new to write. Just right. because I need to get out of that space. But I mean, the weeks go by when I'm working on the script, like the weeks are just flying by and it's, that's a little, feels a little crazy too. And what you were seeing, Julie, about like the pandemic being like this ringing in your ear, it's definitely that too. I feel this weird sense of, well, no one's going to be shooting anything. Why bother writing this, trying to sell it? But then also, wait, the vaccines are out where we are going to get back into th like, because, and still so unknown. So it's so weird. Anyway. Yeah, so that was my week. Well, should we start our questions with what you asked, Lorian, in terms of, okay, what happens? What is the process, you guys? Just to, um, in a general way, I mean, uh, or we can save that for our TV question, I guess, because you're, uh, well, you're doing television, right? I'm so curious about the, I know I sort of, under, I've done the television thing, so I understand that a little better. But the, um, 
I mean, I haven't quote done the television thing. I've oh, right. You're gotten, doing the feature. It's, the it's feature a feature. And so I have this director attached and he's a new director and I've never written a movie that's been made. And uh, so we're putting together a deck and then I guess we're going to take it out to see if we can get a producer attached to get some money. I, like, how does that work? <laughs> Well, there, there are two, I mean, what's interesting, and Bonnie and I were just talking about this because we were pitching ourselves to an agent for a book that we, that we really wanted to be, quote unquote, attached to, to take it to all the potential financiers. And um, her philosophy was she wanted to give it to different producers who each had, who each had deals at different financiers, right? So there, there are basically two ways to go to producers. Um, and we, one is that you quote unquote, if you're, say you have an agent involved, they would assign territories to you and the director. And by that, I mean like, oh, at Netflix, you'll go with, you know, Shonda Rhimes because she wants to do movies now and she's got a deal at Netflix, right? And at um, Sony, you'll go with uh, Will Smith and James Lasseter, right? Because I don't know if they have a deal at Sony, they probably don't know, but you know what I'm saying? That you would go to a different producer and go into each studio via a different producer. So that depending on where you end up, whoever buys your project, your producer would be a different person. Um, another way to do it, is, which of course is what we always advocate, is that you actually, you find a producer to be a, a team member. It's like how when Anna DeRoy, who is an agent at WME, had a writer she was really excited about named Jennifer Vanderbess, with a, what she thought was going to be a really interesting pitch, she decided, I'm going to send her out to meet with some producers and she's going to pick one and we're going to go with them everywhere as a team. And that way, instead of recrafting your pitch for each producer in each place, you're really just working with the producer to go in at each place in the right way, right? It's a little bit more uh, bespoke because it's, it's, you have somebody who's really being there as your personal tailor at each, at each, at each place, right? So how you and your director goes out, go out to a producer will depend on if you want to go straight to financiers or whether you want to find a producing partner first and then take it out. And also you'll need to be aware if you go to a particular producer first, do they have an exclusive deal somewhere so they can only make it one place or do they have a first look deal somewhere so they need to go that place first? Or can they go anywhere? Or because they didn't originate the material and you guys originated the material, are they not tied to their first look deal? So you just have to be aware of the parameters um, and also decide what kind of adventure you, you wanna have. You know, Do you have a movie that should be made as a small independent feature or does it need significant financial resources? that too is gonna to indicate who your best partner is. It's really complex actually, but finding the person that you feel is gonna protect your experience and your journey is, is I think paramount. And often those directors have producers just in terms of a broader, you know, some directors have producers they always work yep. with, which can be great or for a writer, it can be a nightmare because that producer really isn't Sometimes, sometimes they are absolutely your champion as the writer, but if they're the director's partner, that's the partner, right? And they, so, you know, you always have to kind of, like we said, know what you're getting into and ask a lot of questions and then make your choice. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so let's, let's ask some uh, 
audience questions. These came directly off of uh, our Facebook page of the Screenwriting Life. Um, Melissa asked, what's your top tip for emerging writers? Discipline. You know, Rodrigo, right, yeah, right Rod every day. Rodrigo tells me that he writes every single day. This is yeah. Rodrigo Garcia. Just yeah. who I've done nine projects with. He writes every day. And, and I think discipline also means um, discipline and how you go out with it. Let me give you an example. I, I cannot tell you how many times a new writer will send me a script and then literally like a week later, they'll be like, oh, if you haven't started it yet, here's, a, don't read that draft, read this draft. Yeah. And then I might be halfway through and they may be like, oh, wait, let me just, let me just, just, just sub out this one. And I, that's not good. <laughs> because... Totally. I totally did that with this script that I'm writing this week. Like I, my discipline has fallen apart because it's so this crazy sense of urgency, but I have, I've totally did that. Like I sent it out to a reader and I was like, don't read that one, read this one. And then I got, I lost track of which versions I sent to who. <laughs> right. And I was like, which version did you get? So like it, I, yeah, try not yeah, to do that. It was very bad. I knew it was bad when I was doing it. Right. I was like, this is a bad habit or a bad, whatever it is. And I, it was, I, because I have this crazy sense of urgency and I don't, I can't stop writing. I didn't pick the date where I was like, okay, I'm done. Send it out, chill, wait. So exactly what you're talking about. I totally did it. I have relation. Those are readers, people that you have relationships with too. That's different. Yeah. I'm thinking about the person. I don't even necessarily, I'm not working with them yet. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. They're either, right. Trying, they're either trying to get me to produce their movie or more likely, which is how a lot of these new writers are. And they're like, oh, you know, my sister will call me and say, you know, my friend from yoga class needs you to read, you know, her son's script, you know, that kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like it's that person. <laughs> yes. So it just shows, I, and the truth of the matter is, and this is true, I've noticed this is true with actors on takes as well. They think it is so different than the previous version, but chances are if it's only coming three days later, it's actually not as different as they think it is. Just like the actors like, oh, that take was so much better. And sometimes you're like, yeah, you know, not, not, not really. <laughs> you know I mean? so you have to trust in the essential goodness of the work that you've handed over and you could even if you're feeling if you feel like you could have done a little better when that person responds you can say oh you know i've done work on it since then but i i hear I, so i know there's issues but i'm really curious to see what you have to say bonnie what do you what's your emerging writer tip or is it the same it's very similar i just my first Thing is just write every day you know it's um and i agree with everything julie said i also think it's you know it, it, the thing that i was thinking about in anticipation of, of hopping on the podcast with you guys was um in meeting writers i always find meeting the human being behind a script to be a fascinating experience and i think that emerging writers you know if i don't know who you are yet and my my way into you is going to be this piece of material and then i'm going to want to meet you i think that advice i would give is and i i definitely am just talking about myself 
I want to sit in a room and I, I really want a writer to be able to tell me what they're trying to say and what thematically they're trying to do. I need, and if they, if they are shy and, and, and find it difficult, one of the best scripts I ever read, uh, many, many, many years ago, uh, when I met the writer, he could barely put a sentence together in the meeting with me. And it took us like six meetings to finally get to a place where, where, you know, we could collaborate in a, in a productive way. And I would just encourage writers to have the script behind the script, uh, you know, and, and be able to verbalize that because that, that as a producer for me, that's incredibly helpful. You know, we ask the same thing of directors, but I don't think we spend a lot of time asking that of writers. And it, it's, if you can tell me what you're trying to say in this, you know, 120 pages, uh, I can probably help much better. If you can articulate that yeah. to me. That's Does great. that make that sense? Kind of, yeah, and it totally goes into our next question asked Wait, by but, Mitch. But before are, you go, can I add one little yeah. thing? Is that okay on the other? Because I want to make sure to say this. When we say write every day, we don't mean never take a vacation or never take a weekend off, right? I want to be really clear about that because everybody needs to recharge and refill their tanks. We just mean in your, in your ongoing efforts to be a writer, don't like, don't take off an inordinate amount of time. Stay at, stay at the distance. It's not a Don't hobby. talk. Right. Yeah, type. Don't talk. Do. One of the writers, a lot like Rodrigo, you're talking about Julie, he's like, my fingers won't stop. My fingers won't stop. My fingers won't stop. You have to do the work, do the work, but yes, take great vacations. Come, come with <laughs> so, Julie and me. <laughs> okay. So our next, that kind of goes into our next question that Mitch asked, which are, what are the key qualities of a writer that are essential if you're going to work with them or recommend them, given you already know they can consistently write well, what are other qualities you look for in a writer? Uh, Bonnie, you want me to go or you want to go? Uh, I'll go on this one. It's again, I think it's probably shallow of me as a producer, but I'll just be honest. One of the reasons I love working with you, Meg, is you give really good meeting. <laughs> you give a really good meeting. So I know that we're going to have a great, they're, they're either going to want to make the movie or not. They're either going to respond to the material or not. That's not, honestly, we cannot control that. But I know that we're going to go in and have a really fascinating conversation and a great meeting. And then everyone will decide creatively what they want to do. But it, it's, it's a part of writing, I think, particularly in the entertainment business, that um and the executive mentality it's a part of writing that you really you have to nourish and 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 study and be good at okay what julie, for go. you because but what for you and maybe julie you can answer this question when you say you know gives a good meeting for our emerging writers like what does that mean for what can what, what are those qualities well the qualities are uh, much the same quality I would give to any creative human that's going into a meeting with someone. I think, you know, don't answer yes, no, like have the why and explanations behind your choices, stand up for what you think will work and not work. Don't be a wallflower and don't bend over and 
just say yes, sir, yes, sir. You know, I think you just have to have a vibrant opinion. Um, you know, and, and, and also and a, listen to what they're saying, right? And also the, be like, the, let me think about that. And right, listening because, was listening yeah. was the the next thing on my on my uh, on my list was you you got to be a good listener and respond. And if you don't have the answer, there's a way to graciously not have the answer you know, and still be engaged with the human you're talking to. I mean, it's kind of like a date. Right. So you're kind of trying to engage the other person in a conversation mm -hmm. uh, to get deeper into it and to figure out even more what they're talking about, what you're talking about. That makes sense. That's right. Bonnie, I think part of the reason that you love our meetings with Meg is that Meg is a great storyteller, not just on paper, but in human form. Like she can tell about getting her car stuck behind somebody else's car with the paparazzi outside so she can't get out of the yogurt slash pizza emporium. And it's that's a good thing, one. Right? You don't, you don't want to leave. There's video, right? You don't want to leave the um, you don't want to leave the story. So I think part of what you're talking about is, is someone who can tell their story, not just write their story, and interact with their, with their story, with whoever may show up in the meeting, whether it's executive or you. I, for me, I want to work with somebody who, who telling the story is more important than their own ego. So we can just be there together companionably and collaboratively and do what's best for the movie. And right. that nobody's ego is getting in the way of that. Well, and ego and can I go also, both ways, right? Ego can be what we think of as ego, which is kind of, I'm the best and I, I know and do it my way, which is often a lot of fear. And ego, I find it can also be the opposite, which is that wallflower thing of, I don't know, I don't know. Like That's still a self-focus, right? You're not actually in the room talking. You're still like, I don't know, maybe that's, you know, that's also, a, a, inverse of ego that's a problem right well and i can i would also like to say that um because i have worked with writers who cannot converse in person and they've won academy awards and are incredible writers and i think that in that case I, now of course i'm going to talk the opposite for a second because that's what i do <laughs> but the but the um I think if that is the human you are, that's the first thing I need to know about you as a producer. If, if that's the human you are, trust me to say to me, I can, I am so shy. I cannot put an intelligent sentence, you know, two sentences together in a meeting. You have got to help me in the meeting. I, I, I can't do it because then Julie and I are going to huddle and we're going to figure out, okay, well, the approach is totally different now. The approach is totally different. We've read this human's pages. We know this person's a genius, but clearly we got to like protect, you know, this part of this being. And, um, and then you work very differently with that writer and you, and you do the business of the business very differently with that writer. Like with you, Meg and, and Lauren, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't, I haven't worked with you yet, but the, but I know with Meg, I'm like, no, no, let's just all get in a room. <laughs> you know, like but I, yeah, Meg, will, Meg will let us know what we need to do. Just get, let's get in the room with Meg. But, you know, honestly, someone like Steve Zalian, I would say, and Steve knows this very well about himself and he's a phenomenal writer. I would say, just let him write. We don't need to have a meeting. 
let's just let him go right and he'll give us when he's done. That's good. So, so yeah, know yourself writers. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That, yeah. All right. So uh, our next question comes from Katie, which is, and I've heard this question so many times, especially now, if a writer doesn't live in LA, what is the best way to meet a producer? Doesn't matter if you live in LA. I, and see, I was going to say move to LA. <laughs> <laughs> and there it is. I think that answers the question in total, right? Like, <laughs> well, I, think also, I think the question too, like I'm going to ask the next question because I think it is partly the same question, which was from Kim asked, what circumstance holds the most water with you in regards to um, comfort with receiving new material from a new writer? One, placement in a well-respected contest enthusiasm from uh, representation, agents, managers, or recommendation from a friend or associate. I think what they're asking is, how do I, an emerging writer, I, I may have a great script, I've gotten feedback, I've rewritten it, people are loving it, but how, what do I do with it? How do I get a, that producing partner we're talking about? So I would say the least helpful of those in terms of directly coming to us is, um, quote unquote, placement in a screenplay contest, because I cannot tell you how much dreck I've read that, oh, it's a quarter finalist in the Yucatan, you know, 4K screenplay run, you know, like, and I read, I'm a, I'm on the judge of the committee that, that picks the winners for the nickel, right? So that, and that's like the, the top of the top, right? And yet, I would still say that one of the most important things you could do for yourself as a brand new writer is to enter those things. And here's why. I think that those, those sites and those contests are trolled by the agents and the managers. And I do believe that when somebody calls me, an agent or manager who I respect, who knows, by the way, that if they send me a piece of crap, I'm not gonna trust them as much the next time. And they say to me, I am really excited about this new writer and you're really lucky because I'm gonna give you an early look at them. I have gotten a number of movies, movies made in that way from, from agents and managers who have already been through a big vetting process, right, with that writer, and they often find them in those screenplay contests. Um, the, the recommendation from a friend is iffy, because sometimes it's, it's a that's a favor, and they're passing on a favor. Um, whereas it's different if, if Meg says to me, you know, I've been mentoring somebody through Academy Gold and I think she's really spectacular. You guys should know her writing. I'm going to, that's going to be the first thing I read before an agent, before a manager, before a screenplay contest, because what she's saying is not, can you do me this favor? I'm going to read that too, but she's, but she's saying, this is somebody I know you and this is somebody you're going to respond to. So number one is close friend or associate whose taste you really trust and who knows you, right? Number two- And who doesn't do it all the time. Like I don't do it all the time. No, you don't do it all the time. Um, number two, so like the discriminating friend, I would say is number one. Number two is the enthusiastic agent or manager who isn't full of shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and, and who isn't just trying to get you to read the stuff everybody else has passed on. You know what I mean? I, I would put into that category, like when Anna Dory called us and said, 
will you, do you guys want to hear this pitch from Jennifer Vanderbess and read her samples? It was, it was so discriminating that, that we were a match for her. I, it was, it was, it was a great. That's the thing. Anna, Anna was casting us yeah, in that casting. role. And that's, that's a really good agent. And then the third is the screenplay contest. You know, I, I do think they have value. I think some have more value than others. I think there are some that put you into a mentorship situation with people like CineStory and places like that. And that's really valuable, right? Because you're getting a two for there. You're getting known because you're part of a contest, but you are also potentially leveraging yourself into relationships. I would put um, CineStory in that category. I'd put Sundance in that, the Sundance um, screenplay labs, which isn't a contest, but you're applying for the labs in that. Um, I would put a uh, film independent in that. Any place where you're applying and if they think that your script is good enough, you'll be part of a lab-like situation, I think is phenomenal. Um, and the nickel is like that too, right? Like if you win a if you're one of the five or six nickel winners, you get money to support you for a certain amount of time while you're writing, but you also get access to industry people for advice and mentorship, right? Um, Academy Gold through the Academy for young writers. So I, I think those, all those screenplay contests or lab application contests have real, real value as your primary step. Um, it may not be your end, it may not be your last step, but it's incredibly valuable for your first step. Especially if you don't live in LA, right? To answer the first question, right? You That's do not need to live, you do not need to live in LA, especially now, everybody's only Zooming anyway. Nobody's doing No, anything. yeah, Nobody's agreed. So let me, and, as part, as a follow-up, do you ever, uh, Christine asked if you ever respond to queries from writers you don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think if I've ever done that. Then it means no. If it's, it takes this long, I'm going to say no. Um, which is, these questions are more in the assessing the craft part. Um, so Megan asked, what most engages you in the first act of a script? Julie, you want me to go? You go. I, I've been talking a lot. You go and then I'll chime in if you the same thing. Dialogue. It is an art form. And if I am, if the people are real, that's my first, you know, and I'm, and I don't consciously think about this when I'm reading, I'm just reading, Younger. but, right, right. but I keep going because I'm with them. And then I get to, you know, theme and what's it about. And, um, you know, but I really, because bad dialogue will stop me in my tracks. I'm just like, oh, I mean, how am I gonna get to anything else if, if I don't feel like these people really exist? You feel like it's the same in both assessing a TV script and a uh, feature script that dialogue has that same weight? For me, for me, it is. What about now, you, Yeah, go ahead, Jill. No, but you're about to say something, Bonnie. What were you about to say? Well, it just it it varies too because if 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 you've pitched to me ahead of time what I'm about to read, if I've heard ahead of time what this TV series is going to be about, or I've heard uh, if I've been given some sort of context before the read, 
I'll read a little bit longer, even if the dialogue isn't what I, you know, but I'll catch up to the fact that I'm really not digging it. Mm, okay. Even though I love the concept you just pitched me, I'm sorry. It's just not on the page. Have you ever been you know? reading a spec that somebody sent you in an agent or anybody and not finish the whole thing that you, or, or do you always try to finish the whole thing? This was a question asked by Alyssa. How many pages of a script do producers generally read before making a decision about whether it's worth developing? I think Julie's probably finished every script she ever read because that's just who she is. I cannot tell you how many first acts I have read that I have loved. Like that I literally can feel the movie and then it just goes away from me. And then I skip to the end. If I, if I'm going and you've lost me, I, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna skip because if you end it, if I read the last 10 pages and you've ended it in a way that's surprising to me, I'm gonna go back and read the whole thing. That's so that interesting was, because as a writer, I'm always like, first acts are easy and yet we get caught in them and we, make, we, we write them over and over and over and over because they feel so juicy and easy because second acts are so hard. So hard. third acts so, can be easy, but second acts are so hard. So it's interesting clearly. that even as a reader, you're feeling that too. But I will tell you guys, I mean, that's so interesting that you say that because I find we read so many scripts, you guys, so many scripts. And if you ask me what grabs me in mm -hmm. the beginning and makes me keep reading, it is, am I curious? Am I curious about this person? Am I curious about this situation? Am I curious about what this writer is wanting to say? It's 100% for me. Am I curious about, about this narrative? And, these and are, you ever, are you ever curious though, if the writing isn't great? Uh, I find that somebody who can't, handle decent dialogue is almost never it's part and parcel and I don't separate it because for me character is plot character is dialogue character is all of it so um somebody who is a strong enough writer to make me curious is also is also writing dialogue that if not genius is at least you know not enough to make me put it down and I just but, want to say to our to our listeners because um I can, I, I, that this is, that what they're actually talking about, you guys, is not like, you know, we, we often get mixed up that this is like the genius, the genius writer will make me curious, the genius writer will write amazing dialogue no. in the first act, that this is what they're actually talking about that I want you to hear is they're talking about craft, that you've taken the time to work on your craft, and you can layer the script in all those layers of craft that you need, all the layers of craft that they're, they're saying, they're looking for, they're listening for, which then create this curiosity. So all of this is doable, totally doable, um, but it's what they're looking for by the time you're ready to hand a script to this level, to a producer in Hollywood, listen to the level of craft they need, which is why we go back to write every day, right? Because that's how you're going to get to the ability to do what they're, what they're looking for. And, and, I, and I know you feel like, and, and, and you're right, because I've been there with you, right, that second acts are really hard. But I will tell you guys that, especially with newer writers that I'm reading, it is, it, it is so much more common that the third act is a disappointment for me. Mm. So much more common. Because, um, because it is, I am not 
emotionally full. When I, when I finish a script, I do not want to be able to just, you know, toss it to the side and start another script. I need, I need to, I really want to not want to leave that world. I want to be in that world. It actually happened to me, Bonnie knows with one of the scripts I read from the nickel finals this year, I couldn't, I couldn't get over how good it was. Um, and it, and, and it was because it finished just as, as strongly as it started and it paid off everything that had been laid out in the first well, Let's act. talk about that. Like for you, and I know you're just doing this off the top of your head, but for you guys, when, what is a strong third act? It, it pays off uh, what it seeded probably from act one, right? It's, it's still juicy in its world and its imagination, right? Is there anything else that you can give our listeners that what is a great third act for you, Julie or Bonnie? I want it. I, I mean, I, I, the word that keeps coming up in my head is it is emotional. And I don't mean that it has to be happy emotion or it could be happy. It could be sad. It could, it could even be, um, it could even be, uh, I, by emotion, I don't mean like I'm crying out of happiness or sadness. It could mean I'm disturbed or it could mean I'm inspired. Um, but it's, and it is innovative in that I feel like it's bringing something new to my experience as a lived human. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that it's not, it doesn't follow a formula. Like I could read a romantic comedy, which means that I knew from the first act who was gonna end up together. I, that, could, that could be fine. But the way in which it transpires and the way in which the movie ends, I feel like I have something new in my, in my quiver of human arrows that I had, that I had not experienced before. And again, this is craft, like how to write something emotional, right? That takes a lot of practice and trying over and over and over, right? Like writing, she cries, right? Or she's sad is not enough, right? You, in order to really deliver on those emotional descriptions, it takes a lot of work and failure. And it takes a lot of drafts to even realize consciously what is that thing you're trying to say that in the third act is going to become so active that Julie's gonna feel like, oh, this cathartic experience, right? Um, and it's also, I think, a lot to do with relationship, that the relationships in the movie are heading towards a place in the climax that are, are satisfying. Again, does that mean they're together? Not necessarily. But that relationship is reaching an emotional point in the climax of the movie that is just deeply satisfying, um, I think is also really important. When you're, con uh, this is from Jenny asked, when considering a script, what's your feeling about how done is done? Uh, if a script is 90% there and you can see that it's workable, will you still consider it or does it have to be 100%? Doesn't have to be 100%. Not at all. The, the, I think what we're looking for at least I know what I'm looking for is um, you're going to be able to see if the, if the writer, if the craft is to the level that you respect and want. Um, and then you're always going to have sections of the material that you want to enhance. You know, I always joke, it's the movie in my mind. If, 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 I, if I if I can see a movie while I'm reading a script, if I, if I if I turn the last page and I have just watched a movie, I know it's a great script. 
because I've just completely gotten lost in it. And so if I can see the movie, I, I, I love that. So for me, that can be because, you know, you're not going to just love, 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 unless it's a Jim Brooks movie. You're not going to just love, love, love every scene. So there's always going to be, you know, 25% of it, sometimes even more that you're going to want to go in and go now that now, what about this instead of that? Or, but, um, does so not have to be a hundred percent at all. Have to be hundred percent. I don't even think it has to be 90, but that's all relative as to what you, you know, what people consider those percentages. Um, this is a quick one. Do you guys consider taking on a project from a new writer? Would it dissuade you if they also wanted to direct? This is from Julieta. So the new writer who wants to direct um, and maybe only has some TV directing experience. I'm so sorry that I'm laughing, but Julie, this one's for you. <laughs> because I've done this so many times. <laughs> so many times. I've Julie, you, so your, many. your response could be actually that's a requirement for me. <laughs> I have done so many first-time directors. I would say, first of all, I'd rather have a first-time director than somebody with a ton of bad habits who's directed a piece of crap that I have to hide from financiers, which I've done too. I've had a, I've had a first-time feature director and I've hidden the fact that they've directed TV because I didn't want it to be seen. Um, I think it also depends on the appetite of the script. Like if it's a small movie that you want to make as an indie for a million bucks um, and it's a great script, probably the only way you're going to become a director is to hold on to your script. If it's a great script that people really, really, really want to make is if you say, yeah, oh, that's great. I'm so happy you want to make the script. Um, the only way to do it is if I'm going to direct it. Um, I think that is a great way to leverage yourself into directing. Now, that only works if the script is really, really great and people really, really want to make it. Uh, and sometimes and, uh, it can be really, really great, but they don't want to make it. Yeah, I mean, that happens to a lot of scripts, right? They love it. It's a great sample, but the audience is too small or whatever reason it doesn't travel internationally, whatever reason, right? They don't. And so also if it's an amazing script, but it's, it's going to be a hundred million dollar movie. No one's going to hand that to you either. So you have to kind of, you have to gauge what the resources you need to make the movie are, are going to be. Um, Bonnie finally turned to me a couple years ago and said, uh, you've made everybody's dreams come true now, Julie. You can, you can take a break. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Um, so now for our TV questions, Mitch asked, what, if anything, might distinguish a great writing sample for a staffing candidate versus a spec pilot you might option from a new writer? Sales. Like I can read a great writing sample that no one, that no network I've ever heard of is ever going to buy or put on the air. So I can't sell it. But if the writing is great, I think that person is, is potential for staffing all over the place because we don't need them to come up with a concept. We just need them to be a great writer. So it's pretty simple. I mean, the, the other one is you have to be able to, to, to sell it. You have to be able to sell it. Like it has to have every year, each of the streamers and networks, and cable outlets will say, we're looking for our whatever, our Grey's Anatomy or our CSI or our Handmaid's Tale. They all have mandates they're trying to meet every year and things, the kinds of things they wanna buy or what they think their brand is or what they want their brand to be. And, um, and so you have to answer that if you're gonna sell a pilot. 
Would you well, give that feedback to a writer? Like, this is a great sample, but we can't sell it. Yeah, I would. Mm -hmm. Now, we're mm -hmm. not experts in TV either. So I might say to them, we're not the right producers for you, right? Um, I mean, we have done TV. We're doing TV now. Um, but we're not, we're not experts in it by a long shot. So. Got Do it. you think, um, in terms of putting a room together, don't, don't, don't they pretty much cast the table? I was, that's exactly what I was going to say. Cause I, it, yes, they do. And it is, which then leads my brain to the fact of you've got to find your authentic voice in your writing because it, when, when we were putting the diet land room together, it was um, five different, very different jobs being fulfilled. Like, you know, who's going to be, you know, the humor and who's going to be the science, you know, who's going to be, you know, just what, what are you going to put in there that's going to make the magic? But I think, um, you know, authentic tone in, in really getting your voice to come through in the writing and sort of who you're going to be as a writer. I don't need you to write like anybody else but yourself. That's such great advice. That's how they know how to cast you, right? And that voice might be also what you're just really good at writing, right? Like some people are really, really good at set pieces or they're really, really good at the humor or they're really, really good at the emotion. That doesn't mean they don't have to do all the other levels of craft, but that's kind of, and, and agents and managers cast you too, right? Like that's how they're selling you out in the world. Um, so that's just something to think about as you're looking at your samples, right? Um, Joni yeah. asked, as a lover of the limited series, Big Little Lies, The Night Manager, The Queen's Gambit, I realize those all have IP. How interested would you be or would the marketplace be for original ideas for limited series with no underlying IP? And we should also broaden this out to uh, new writers or emerging writers or writers who aren't necessarily in the system coming in with limited series. I think that's a B to this, right? Like how, how are limited series uh, being kind of thought about right now? Well, limited series are sometimes a financial risk in that you're not coming back to those sets, right? So if you're doing an ongoing series that um, there are a lot of costs that can be amortized over time, like sets that you hold from season one to season two to season three to season four. And so there is a certain amount of risk in a limited series. And it's also one of the reasons that IP has been very useful because there's already an audience. You know, there have already been a lot of people who had read Big Little Lies. Um, there, it doesn't mean you can't do an original. It just means that having a really strong piece of IP that's known in the marketplace is a leg up. I, I don't think it's disqualifying to have your limited series be original. Just know that there are certain economies that cannot be taken in a limited series that can be taken in an ongoing year-to-year -year series. Um, it's just important to know that, but I wouldn't be discouraged from it. I, I love a good limited series because I think it allows you greater depth into character and narrative than a movie does, but it also doesn't mean you are giving it a multi-year commitment. And it also doesn't mean that you're stretching something long past its sort of the natural limits of its interest. There's something really wonderful about limited series, but I, I don't want to be a liar either. I think the most successful, well-known ones even going back to Roots and the Thornbirds and the Winds of War, you know, those all came from IP. And I think that's very much true today because the, 
the distributor is looking to catch your attention with an adaptation and there's a built-in audience. But there are other ways to get around that. You know, find a big movie star who's really excited and telling that kind of story or find a big director who people really follow. I think there are other ways besides IP to, to give yourself a little leverage in the sales process. Great. Um, Stephanie asked for any advice on pitching an original series. And another and two, a, a, B, a B to this is Pablo asked, how many seasons do you suggest to pitch a TV Bible when you pitch a show? Uh, uh, it used uh. to be five, but now he's heard it's three. You know, you, you know maybe there, you, know, you can also think, do they need to have visuals? Do, are they pitching the story and interspersing the character? You know, just some basics pitching of a TV series when you're trying to show them the engine that's going to last for, you know, however long your Bible is. What, what's, what's your kind of general thought on pitching TV? I mean, my first response was, how many seasons do you want to pitch? Like, what do you have worked out? You know, let's talk about it. And... Because I certainly want to know that you're going to take me on a journey. You know, I want to know what the first episode's going to be. I want to know the first season. And then I want to have the basic idea of where the show's going to take me. Um, so three, I, you know, three to five seasons, depending on the show and the content of what we're talking about. Um, and I mean, we all know everyone on this I was going to say Zoom, but we're not on a Zoom. We're on a podcast. Everyone on this podcast knows that um, it just depends. We have this conversation all the time, and we've been doing this for many, many, many years. I mean, how many times have we said, well, should we pitch? Should we pitch more than that? Should we pitch less? Should we, should we give a script first? Should we, what should we leave behind? Should we have visuals? And, you know, Julie and I have sold things where we had, you know, characters on little popsicle sticks, you know, in, in rooms with uber professionals, we're there with our little homespun, you know, because it, <laughs> because that. it, because it just felt right. It, it, it was just like, this is, and I, you know, this is where I get all like texting on you, but it, it's, it's like you're in school. And you're going in to make your presentation on your school project and you want to get an A. And you want to learn, you want to know who that teacher is, what they think an A is, and you want to go in with the presentation that's going to impress. Now, it can't just be all flash and no substance. You've got to have something behind it. But it, I don't think at the end of the day, it's going to matter if you had visuals or if you went five seasons or three or if you left the script behind or didn't it's really going to be about your passion for it and your belief that you're the only person who can achieve this for them and selling yourself as much as you're selling the the concept i really believe that in tv because they know it's going to be a long 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 journey yeah it's a marriage they were they, they yeah they can work with you i took out a limited series that was going to be three seasons and they my producers on that literally said you need to pitch the last uh scene of the limited series like literally stop and say okay and then she walks up and like literally pitch the scene so they know this is the culmination of three years of where this relationship 
goes and how the plot ends so that they know you know where it ends and it's going. That that would grab my attention if you did that with me. If Meg did that, if you did that, because I know you'd do it really well. (laughs) We're going to have a whole pitching show, people. Don't worry. Don't worry. Also, you just want to be able to want to be with these people. I can't tell you how many TV pitches I've heard with the and read the decks and people send me their and this is what happens in season two and three and I literally cannot get past the character descriptions I just want to take a nap like you really have to want to live with those people for an extended period of time when when you can do that then you're just all you then all that happens is you're in mourning when the show is over because you can't believe you're going to live without those people in your lives anymore it would be great if we could post on our Facebook page this is a great character description so that they get a real hands-on understanding of when you say that like and and maybe we can't and jeff maybe you can cut this out if we can't but i i would like to try to think okay here's a not a great one versus here's a great one um and maybe i can work with you guys offline to try to find that or it would be great to look at some of the characters that we've all loved in television right and 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 almost reverse engineer that yeah I mean, like, I bet I, we could find the scripts, though. We can find the pitches, probably, on some of them. I'm sure you could, like, think about, um, you know, it, and it could be such, it could be, uh, it could be Don Draper in Mad Men. It could be um, uh, Alfred in in Handmaid's Tale. It could be Sidney Barstow from Alias. I mean, you could really find it in any genre, but that person who when the show is over, you cannot believe the show is over. Like, wait, I'm never going to see them again. Right. You know, maybe it's Buffy. Right. And so much of it too, is how those characters are pitched though too, right? Like the person pitching them and um, the, the, it's the me of pitching that character, right? Like, yeah. And, and when you're reading a character description, it's so much different than hearing it pitched in the room. I mean, is it, I always thought it was, but is it, uh, maybe I don't. I don't know that I have a good answer to you, Lorian. I mean, I, I sort of feel like they've gone hand in hand. What I think is most important is that you I, is that I think everybody feels like they're in good hands with the showrunner. Like I like one of the reasons we love pitching with Meg is that we walk in and we're so confident, like that the executives will look at her and think. I'm in good hands with her. I, we had a show that Meg pitched. I could not believe it didn't get bought. I mean, I literally could not believe that it did not get bought. And I, and I think it was because people just didn't know her yet. Like they didn't, she was, still, she was still newer as a writer because I knew they were in good hands, but I think they were probably worried like, oh, she's green or, you know, it was before, before she got to be fancy schmancy. Before the schmozzle. Before the schmozzle. But I I think with a showrunner, even more than a feature pitch, because you can always get, you know, whatever. The studio's like, all right, well, you know, we have a script doctor. It'll come in. But with a showrunner, they need to feel like they are in really good hands. And that person does know how the show's going to end. And And I don't think that... And and often young writers may be given a showrunner because you're not going to run a show, right? Um, but still, they're they're buying your voice and your vision. Absolutely. Yeah, and and I don't think that'll come down to how good your visuals were in a meeting. You know, I think that less can sometimes be a lot more in that regard. And I think sometimes if you overcompensate, uh, you can look even more like an amateur. If you come in and you you know don't have confidence in your idea and your concept, show them a few really key things 
um, you know, and really own it, I think it can, I think it can go against you. All right, you guys, this has been so amazing. Uh, I, we're just, I'm just so um, thankful and honored that you guys came and gave us your tremendous brains and insights and passion and hearts. Um, you know, we're just so, so lucky to have you here uh, for all your candor and good cheer. Thank you. And uh, talk your ears off. No, it's good. It and great. to our listeners, we're so glad that you joined us. And please go ahead and give us any feedback on the show and any shows on the Facebook page. We love to hear from you. And be sure to go to the Apple podcast and give us a good review. Um, we need those two to keep going. So uh, thanks, you guys, for being Thank with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye, guys. Thanks for tuning in to The Screenwriting Life. We love our community and we want to get to know you even better. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash thescreenwritinglife or email us at thescreenwritinglife at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it and not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. We've always been driven by mission and mentorship, and reviewing our show helps expand that mission. And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.